0: Today, I'm talking about keeping Christ first. And if Christ is going to be first place, then we've got to be obedient to him. And that certainly involves following him in baptism if you have never done that. But preceding baptism is an even more important decision. And that is the decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. We have to come to that point where we recognize that we're sinful, we're depraved, we're totally, we're completely separated from God in a condition we can do absolutely nothing about. And the Holy Spirit convicts us and makes us aware of that. And all we can do is agree with God that we're a sinner and we're lost and we're hopeless. And we turn in repentance to the one that can save us. And we trust in what he did on our behalf on the cross to rescue us from sin and death in the grave. And we say, God, I'm committing my life to you. From this point forward, I want to live for you. And you're changed. Christ changes you. But that's the beginning you don't stop there, that is the beginning point. And so Chris has been doing this series on relationships. And he started it off by talking about the key in relationship is the one chair. Christ has got to be the center. Christ has got to be the focus. Christ has got to be first place for every other relationship to work right. So I'm closing out by reminding us once again for relationships, for all those things that Chris has taught in that series to work, Christ has got to be first place. And I think in your bulletin, you can order that sermon series. It's a good sermon series. This one's not on it. There's a bonus. So there's a good sermon series. So you can get one of those, r- listen to it, hand it to somebody. The one before it, Monsters in You, was a great series. And so we encourage you to take advantage of those. Share those with others to help grow in your walk with Christ. But Christ has got to be first place in your life. Matthew 6.33 is a passage, and it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all that other stuff, it'll take care of itself. All that relationship stuff, it will take care of itself, but you've got to remember to seek first God and His kingdom and His righteousness. He's got to be first priority in your life. And in that pa- that section there of the Sermon on the Mount, right before it, right before uh, Christ is tempted by Satan. Now, if Satan is arrogant enough to think that he can tempt the Son of God, and he knows who he is, if he's that arrogant, you better believe he's going to try and tempt you to have something other than Christ on the throne. So he's going to tempt you. So in chapters 5 through 7 in Matthew, we get the Sermon on the Mount, and in there he talks about the development process if you're going to be able to keep Christ as first place in your life. He talks about the very, he talks about attitudes you gotta have. The very first one, you gotta be humble and you gotta be teachable. So this morning, be humble, be teachable. But he talks about the development of those attitudes. And he talks about making sure that you understand following his rules isn't some narrow list. But it's not just not killing, it is, it is respecting and loving all people and letting your word show that. You know, it's not just about not committing sexual sin, it's about not even having an impure look. And he goes on in chapter 6 and he talks about pure worship and he talks about getting along one-on-one, just you and God. And he sums it up in 633 where he says, seek first me and my kingdom and my righteousness. All those things in life that we so worry about, all those relationships that you worry about and you want to have in right order, seek first God and his kingdom and his plan and his purpose and all that stuff will work itself out. I'm going to give you three quick things this morning. Trust me, clock here clock in my pocket, clock up there. Three quick things this morning about keeping Christ first. And I want us to look at a couple of my favorite characters in the Bible, Joshua and Caleb. We're also going to look at Rahab uh, briefly, but about their challenge to keep Christ first and what we can learn about that. we're going to look at commitment, the importance of making that commitment We're going to look at the challenges involved once you make that commitment and to understand there are major league consequences based on what you do with that commitment. But once you come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, like I said, that's the starting point. There has to come that point in time when then you say, Christ is going to be first priority in my life. It doesn't always happen. We accept Christ. We're kind of excited about that. We kind of roll along and then it hits us. My life has got to prioritize in order around Christ. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that we're to be living sacrifices. Galatians two twenty says you've been crucified with Christ. You no longer live, but Christ lives inside of you. Life is to be about Jesus Christ. He's given us a mission with the Great Commission that we're to carry out and to go make disciples, uh, to go lead people to know Christ and to follow Christ. And to be able to do that, Christ has got to be first priority in our life. And so we come to a realization that Christ has got to, and we start seeing things that have taken priority over Christ. And we realize, you know, I've got to reorder some things, and I've got to lay some things aside, and I've got to pick some things up, and I've got to change, and I've got to modify, but Christ has got to be first place. I understand now why preachers have their shirt tails untucked all the time. You know, they come up here and they preach and you got this little wire here, here, and it's jerking on you all the time. And <laughs> that was awful. I feel bad because my mother would be getting on to me, get your shirt tail tucked in, but this wire is driving me crazy. <laughs> okay, I want us to look at commitment. I want us to start off by looking in Numbers chapter 13. In Numbers chapter 13, we see here the initial commitment of Joshua and Caleb and They have been through Moses. They've been through the Exodus. They have seen the miracles done. You know, they've seen the snake turn, the water turn to blood. They've seen the flies. They've seen the plagues. They've seen the firstborn die. They've seen the Red Sea parted. They've been enriched with treasures as they leave. Uh, Here come the Egyptians. There's this cloud in between them, and it keeps the Egyptians at bay, and it guides them where to go. They get to the sea. It parts. It goes through. They've seen all this stuff. And they know it. And now comes the moment when they're to go take this land. And this land is a symbolic place of trusting in God, of beginning ministry. Also, judgment is coming to the people in this land. And that's a whole nother sermon. But they're coming there and they go and and there's 12 spies are sent to scout out the land. And it's not to question God. It's to see what God said about this land is absolutely true. But it's also to let them know, yes, there are obstacles and there's big people and there's large cities and they got big weapons and you don't. That's so they'll say dependent and trusting on God through the whole process. So he sends them in, they see it, and in Numbers chapter 13, verse 27, it says, They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But, nevertheless, there's all this other stuff there. So there is no way God would want us going in there and taking that. We need to do what seems best to us. We need to come up with a strategy, with a battle plan, and that's we just need to stay right here where we are. But we need to take over being in charge instead of trusting Christ in charge. And you see what Caleb's response is in verse 30. In verse 30, he says, Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But again, the people respond with but. But Caleb is committed. We're going to trust Christ, we're going to keep, uh, trust God, we're going to keep Him first, we're going to follow His plan. And in Numbers chapter 14, verses 6 through 9, Joseph and Caleb both fly into the situation. They tear their clothes in repentance, they tear their clothes in mourning. It says, the, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, He'll give it to us. Only do not rebel. Do not be afraid of the people. Their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. They are committed. No matter the present dangers around them from the people grumbling and wanting to stone them, no matter the obstacles ahead, we're going to trust Christ and we're going to keep him first place in our lives and we're going to follow him. And for you to experience all that God wants you to, for your relationships if you're young and you're dating to be what they should, Christ has got to be first place. If you are married, Christ has got to be first place. If you want truly want the best for your children, Christ has got to be first place. If you want to influence and impact your friends and your co-workers and your neighbors for Christ, He's got to be first place. At no time can you say, well, wait, I know what you're saying, but look at the situation, look at the circumstances you don't understand, you don't get it. Well, just for a period of time, I need to push Christ, and this needs to take first priority. Well, Christ is a priority, but he's one among many priorities. No, Christ has to be first priority in your life. And for that to happen, okay, I'm not going to give you rocket science. It's really simple. You've got to have a plan, and you've got to have people. Anything that's difficult, anything that is a long-term challenge, You've got to have plan, and you've got to have people to hold you accountable. You, you want to make a, a, a weight change, a diet change, you've got to have a plan, and you've got to have accountability. You want to take on some challenge at work, you've got to have plan, and you've got to have accountability. And so you've got to be a plan and accountability. I've asked Josh Sanderson to come up here and share just a second. Josh, obviously youth minister, you know, has got a plan to keep God as first priority in his life. That's so important. But if you're an insurance person, if you're a banker, uh, if you're a nurse, a teacher, whatever you do to do it and do it effectively, Christ has got to be first place in your life. But here recently, Josh realized, and you will realize as you grow with Christ, what you have to do to keep him in first priority changes. There's things you have to let go of. There's things you have to take up a notch. There's things you have to lay aside. And there's definitely challenges that you take on. And so Josh recently realized that there was a challenge he has to take on. So come on up here. And... Um, You know, God was convicting him about his walk with his life, so he challenged him in his plan with God. And there's this 40-day plan that that God has challenged him to undertake to really, if God's going to be first place, and you really want to hear from me and be used by me, here's what it is got to do. So how far along are you in this challenge?
1: Okay, so in the 40 days, I'm probably about 10 days into it.
0: And so far, what's God taught you?
1: Well, you know, kind of starting it, I didn't know... If God was convicting me or telling me that He wanted, like just what you said, do take this out of your life or put this into your life, and so and so that's what my kind of my prayer, my focus, and so my my, my focus has tried to be in every day to to for God to give me a word, and uh, and I would say one of my one of my biggest things is perseverance, just to keep moving forward, even when I'm, I'm reading right now just in my natural quiet time, I'm in Revelation. I'm not a big prophecy guy. Um, it's, you know, I, am not super, it's not just like riveting reading to me. And, and so I think in that guy has challenged me, okay, keep on going. And, and it's, it's been, an, it's been cool that in every day God has, has shown me some really cool stuff.
0: Okay. That's nice. That's pretty, but practically what does that look like? What are you doing?
1: Okay. <laughs> Don't we love Clayton? Mm-hmm. Um, I am, every day, I set aside time to get away completely by myself. Um, I am reading um, a few chapters through Revelation, and uh, I'm spending some time. I'll go back over some passages in there, and, and look, and I'm just asking God beforehand, the, what is the, what, as I'm reading this, point out things that, that, that you want to speak to me about. And I am not a journaling guy. Uh, i 'm not a 'm not a, uh, a guy that I never have kept a diary that has never been my speed but uh, i 've got a journal that uh, that I sit down after I uh, have been reading, and I just start writing out kind of what I feel like god is is talking to me about and it 's been very, very cool over these ten days to just see how it flows on paper and it just starts it starts flowing out and and, 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 and I think God has been speaking to me through. As I'm, as I'm writing. One
0: sentence to it the most, why would you challenge them? Wait. Wherever they're at, wherever they're at in making Christ's first priority, wherever that challenge was, what would you, why would you say, hey, wherever God's telling you to do to make that a priority, why it's important you said, to why? do. Yeah, why?
1: Um, Roman, I mean, Revelation in the first chapter, it says that you have forgotten your first love. And if you don't repent, I'm going to remove my lampstand from you. And that hit me like a rock that God, I, the, my greatest fear is God's hand coming off of me and me not being able to, to work under the power of God. And so if for nothing else, so that God doesn't pull his hand off of us, is, if you are a believer, I believe that is the ultimate challenge.
0: Thank you, Josh. Wherever you are in your walk, now that's where God's telling Josh what he's got to do to keep Christ his first priority in your life. What you've got to do is you need to hear from God what does God want you to do if God is going to become or stay or continue or be restored as first priority of your life. You've just got to be honest about that. And it may just be starting the morning off with a little bit of time with God because I'm starting the morning off. I worry about exercise, but I'm not starting the morning off with any time with God. But whatever it is, whatever he's telling you, lay aside, pick up, be willing to do it. But be ready, as Josh said, I'm not a prophecy guy, I'm not a journaling guy. And God says, well, learn a little bit about prophecy and learn a little bit about journaling. That's what the steps he needs to take. Be open to the steps God wants you to take. And then you need people. You need folks that are going to hold you accountable. He's opened up the can to us. We as a staff are going to hold him accountable. You need people holding you accountable. Monday morning, I meet with some guys. Uh, Joe Gilmore, Sunday school teacher, deacon, great guy. Does he need to be an accountability group? I don't know, but he's there. He's there with us, holding us accountable to study God's word, to grow, and to live out his faith. You need a plan, and you need people. Be honest about where you are with that and take steps in that. Now, here's the second thing. The reason it's important to make that commitment is because there are going to be challenges ahead for you. In Romans 14, 29 through 30, after... These people, you know, Joshua and Caleb, they're willing to follow, but the people say no. And because the people say no, the consequences come. And it says, in this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who has counted the census and has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land except Caleb and Joshua, who kept me first place. Consequences are coming. But the thing is, Joshua and Caleb got to suffer 40 years, too. It's 40 years. They're faithful, and yet... It's 40 years before they get to go in the wilderness. They are going to be responsible for every child 20 and under their spiritual upbringing. They're going to have to keep them from becoming negative. They're going to have to keep them focused and remembering the great things that happened in the Exodus. Someone they're going to have to teach for the first time because they're so young they didn't understand it or get it. He is responsible for this. Him and and Caleb got to do this with these younger guys. Not only that, everybody 20 and older is going to pass. Friends, family members, associates are going to die. They're going to have to be dealing and counseling and ministering to these people. They kept you know, Christ first, and bam, they've been given this huge responsibility. They've got to keep them become, being a negative influence. And if you read on in Numbers, you say, that was certainly a challenge. They've got to get them to get on board and help mentor and prepare these that are going to be staying and going into the promised land to get them ministered. They've got a huge challenge in front of them. Their mentor Moses, a couple of chapters later, bams the rock. And because of his haste, he doesn't get to go in. So now they know, not only have we got to go in, but but our mentor Moses isn't going in with us. And in chapter 3, it talks about after that 40 years is over, they face the challenge uh, of, of crossing the Jordan River. Or the Jordan River. Now, Moses did it. I got it. He did it with the Red Sea. Now it's up to us for these waters to part and us to go in. And in Joshua chapter 6, 1 through 3, they've gone through the Jordan. They get to the city of Jericho. And it says in chapter 6, now the Je- gates of Jericho were securely barred because the Israelites. No one went in. No one came in or out. So they've got to... Um, you know, here, here it is. Here's these young guys that have never been in battle. They don't have great weapons. And here's this city. Some say walls 25 feet high, 20 feet thick. And here's this city, and you've got to go take it. Not only have they got to get them the challenge of taking on this city, the battle plan, it says in verse 3, is march around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. I've got to get these guys to buy in. Our battle plan is to march around the city and blow some horns and not say anything. This is our plan for taking the city. And on the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times. This is our plan. That's the challenge. Let me tell you something. When you come to a relationship, when you put him first place, there are challenges to keeping him first place. Satan is going to do everything in his power to keep you from having Christ as first place in your life. And you have got to be committed when it doesn't make sense, when I don't understand it, when it seems too hard, when it seems too difficult. I'm going to continue to keep Christ as first place. When other people are challenging me and questioning me, when it makes sense, that here's, I'm going to take it into my hands, keep Christ in first place. I've asked another one of our church members, Jeremy McGee, to come up here a second. Jeremy had an unbelievable challenge in keeping Christ in first place in his life. Jeremy had a side business. He had a side business that, that, that you know, allowed him to do some things. And God said, if Christ is going to be first place in your life, Jeremy, here's what you've got to do with this business. Okay, fine. I'll sell it off. That's not what God told him to do. Well, just sell it at cost. No, that's not what God told him to do. Well, just give the stuff away. That's not what God told him to do. God told him to put it, push it in a ditch and set it on fire. Now, a lot of people will go, well, that's crazy. But sometimes when God is calling us to have him in the first place, he's going to ask us to do things that don't make sense to us and sure as heck don't make sense to other people, and that's why it's real easy to back away from it. Now, Jeremy, tell me what God taught you in that process.
2: Well,. Uh... First thing, looking back, he taught me that it's real easy for us if we just uh, just kind of go with the flow or, or in my case, I just went with what made sense. I'm a real practical person, black and white, and this business opportunity I had, which was a wholesale nursery, just made sense to me. And so I didn't even pray about it. It's kind of looking back on it now, it's crazy that I would even proceed in, into a what I thought was going to be my livelihood without even you know considering God or involving God in, in that. Um, and uh turns out God's hand was not on, on any of it uh, because because I didn't pray about it, because I wasn't included it in it. I just proceeded with what made sense in my life. And looking back on it now, I had com- compartmentalized my life, basically. And this, um, this compartment of my life, this small business that I was starting, God was not involved in, which was which was crazy. And so it's easy for us to do that. You know, we pick and choose what we're going to allow God to be involved in. And one day God just put it on my heart. You're not in my will with this business. And, um, he, same thing with Josh. He said, uh, to me, just spoke to my heart during my quiet time. That's why it's, it's so important to, to have an established quiet time because that's when God speaks to you. Um, and he said, Jeremy, I'm gonna take my hand off of you. And, um, because you're, you're not doing what I want you to do. And, uh, in such a way that he placed on my heart, you take these, um, I had a thousand trees, you know, it was seventy, eighty thousand $80,000 worth of stuff that I had to, that he said, I want you to, this is not what I have for you. You push it in a ditch and set it on fire, and walk away from it. And, um, and people would call me after I did it. And it was hard, by the way, I probably don't have to tell you that it was hard, um, for something that I worked for five or six years to do. Uh, but I had people call me, you know, and say, hey, I need to buy a couple of trees from you. And I'm like, that's going to be pretty tough because they're all, you know, they're all in a, in the, uh, in a ditch set on fire. And, but that allowed me to share that story, you know. And just like Clayton said, there's people that thought I was absolutely insane. Um, but God taught me, you can't compartmentalize your life and have me over here in some places and involved in your life. And then over here, you do what you want to do. It's, uh, it's just like the chair, man. It's all or nothing. And, um, and, and God taught me, you can, you can either be obedient. My hand will be on you or you can do life your way and, uh, and good luck. All right. Thanks, Jeremy.
0: Keeping Christ First. It's not going to be easy. There's challenges involved in it. Now, God may not ask everyone to do what Jeremy did, but I guarantee you there's cost involved in keeping Christ first. But we've got to trust he sees the picture he sees long term. So I'm going to give you the last point here, and this is why it's important to make that commitment to face those challenges with Christ in first place because there are consequences. Now, I'm going to wrap this up quick, Brian. So the only verse you're going to put on the screen, not yet, but is Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to tell you, go back and read Joshua chapter 2 about Rahab, and then read Joshua chapter 7 about Achan. Because here's two people that took two different courses about Christ, about God being first priority in their lives, and there were two different consequences, not only that just infected them, but infected their entire families. Rahab's a prostitute in Canaan. Canaan is an evil, evil country involved in child sacrifice, all kinds of sexual sins, immorality, uh, you know, enslavement of people, beating of people. I'm just a horrible, horrible nation. God's given them 440 years to repent and turn it around, and He gives them seven more days in a circle in the city, and they still don't repent. Rahab's a prostitute. She gets that label in this awful city. And so, you know, the spies come into the city, and again, checking out to see what God said is true, but also they're going to have to depend on them. So these spies come in, they find Rahab, and at some point, Rahab's had a spiritual awakening, okay? Now, whether the Holy Spirit let her know that spies are coming, whether she's had this change in her life, and she knows judgment's coming, so I'm ready in any way to help, I'm ready to help. But in um, Joshua uh, chapter 2, it says, she says this in in, in verses 9 through 11, I know the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to sign and Og, the two kings of the Amorites. We heard of it, our hearts melted. And what she says about ourselves, the Lord your God is God in heaven and above all the earth. She makes a confession of faith in God. I know in this country that worships all these gods, your God is the true God. And I'm willing to risk everything to follow him and to worship him and to help these, come in, these spies coming in and help these people because any way I can serve God, I want to do it. Now, people in that area would say, What are you crazy? You're putting your life at risk. Because the people in Jericho are going to find out, and the leadership did, and they, and they came and tried to get her to you know spill the beans. You're putting your family and your life at risk for doing this. And not only that, even if you are rescued, you think these Israelites are going to protect you? You are a prostitute from Canaan. They will kill you. They will destroy you. But she said, no, I'm going to keep God as first place. I'm going to trust Him, and I'm going to obey Him. The result is... Um, in 2.14, there is a promise, our lives, for your lives, from the spies, that will protect you. We see in chapter 6, verse 22, when, when, when they come into the land, he says, go into the prostitute's house, bring her out, and here's the key thing, it doesn't just protect you and all who belong to her. So she brought out her father, her mother, her brothers, her sisters, and all who belong to her. Her family and all who belong to her were spared because she kept Christ first, when circumstances said, no, don't do it, that doesn't make sense, what are you doing? She and all her family was protected in the most amazing thing. In chapter, five, verse one, chapter 1, verse 5 in Matthew, here's what God does to this prostitute. It says, in the lineage of Christ, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. This prostitute is Ruth's mother-in-law. This prostitute is the great-great-grandmother of David. This prostitute is in the lineage of Christ because she was faithful and put God first despite circumstances, despite her past, despite what people would say. She and all her family is protected. And in chapter 7, you get the story of Achan. And Achan is one of those that's 20 and under. And he's protected and he's brought up under Joshua and Caleb. And he's brought up under Moses. And he's heard and he has seen a lot of the miracles. He sees the, the, the Jordan River parted. He sees the walls fall down. And he has heard the prescription from God. Don't touch any of it. Okay? Those treasuries, they're to, to be to God. Everything else is to be destroyed. Kind of like pushing off in a ditch. Everything's to be destroyed. But instead, he kind of cuts, well, you know, it'll be okay if I take a little bit. That's not going to hurt, nobody's going to know, no big deal. But he cuts himself a corner like a lot of times we do sometimes with God when God tells us to do something. The result of that, if you read on in there, his whole family is destroyed. He has opportunities to repent. They go to fight the city of Ai. The Israelites have 36 men lose their lives. 36 men die because of his little sin of not keeping God in first place but he still doesn't repent. They say judgment's coming the next day, he still doesn't repent. They start going from tribe to tribe, from clan to clan, from family to family, to person to person. He never repents. And finally it gets to him and when he's got no other choice, he repents. The result is by moving Christ out of first place, by cutting corners, his family and him are destroyed. You may think it's not a big deal. What's the big deal if I don't have Christ in first place? It has consequences for you. And it has consequences for your children and your family and your friends and co-workers. It's huge that we have got to keep Christ in first place in our lives. No matter the challenge that we face, don't cut corners. Consequences may not come in the next 10 minutes, but consequences will surely come. that can lift up your family and your friends or can destroy and hurt them. It's your choice. Let's choose to give Christ first place. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Father, thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, who left behind the glory and beauty and perfection of heaven to come to earth to be a sacrifice for us. And Father, in response to that, Father, we pray that we receive that gift and then when we receive it, that we make you Lord, Savior, first place in our life. There's no greater thing we can do for our loved ones and our friends and those you've put in our circle of influence than to keep you in first place in our lives. Father, whatever it takes... Father, wherever we're at with that, Father, let us be committed today to make you first priority. If that means receiving you as Savior is the starting step, let's do that. If that means following in baptism, let's do that. Becoming part of a church family, let's do that. If that means like Josh, wherever it is in our walk with you, whatever we've got to do to make you first place, let's do that. Whatever we've got to cut loose and let go of, let's do that. No compromises. Whatever it takes, Father God, let's be committed as a people because you deserve no less than first place in our lives.